I have my first repeat guest on today's episode, and Ale Reza Zamani, a PhD candidate from the University of Turku in Finland, and we talk a lot about the importance of natural history museums to biodiversity discovery, how there's a lot of unnamed species just sitting on shelves in museums. Let's get started. New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today I'm joined by Ale Reza Zamani, a PhD candidate at the Zoological Museum at the University of Turku in Finland. He's here today to talk to us about his recent paper in Zookeys, in which he and his co-author describe a new genus and 10 new species of spiders from Iran. He is the first person to be on the podcast for a second time. So, welcome again to the podcast, Ale Reza. Uh, hello, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I I really enjoyed talking to you last time, and and we covered a lot of ground on that particular one, particularly about spiders from Iran. Mm-hmm. And I have you back again, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of look at things a little bit differently. But let's start right at the beginning. One new genus and ten new species. Can you kind of give us an idea of the and and these these come from five different families yeah, true. of spiders? Give us a little background on like the different spiders we have here. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So just a little background also about like why we did this paper in this manner, because it's like kind of unusual, you know, to describe species from different families in, in one paper. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, so basically, um, in my current PhD project, uh, I'm studying the systematics, uh, biogeography and conservation of Iranian spiders. And so basically, for most part of the project, I am working with um, taxonomy and systematics of almost all families of spiders in Iran. So, and I'm mainly interested in doing uh, monographic revisions, you know, like large-scale papers, you know. For example, this year we published uh, two quite large-scale papers dealing each with one family. In what in one of them we described 19 new species, and in the other one we described 17 new species, which was the topic of, of our previous uh, talk in this uh, in the podcast. And uh, But sometimes, you know, when we publish these revisions... Uh, after that, we somehow acquire some more material of those families in which we find some interesting new species. And I have this habit uh, that when I find a new species, I have to describe and I have to name it. So <laughs> they kind of... <laughs> it's not a terrible habit to yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good habit. So they kind of, after a while, these uh, miscellany new species, they just gather up and pile up and they have to just describe them all in one paper. So that's... We have... Uh, I think so far published four of such papers, you know, with different families. And in this one, as you mentioned, we described 10 new species of, of five diff- different families. And uh, here in this paper, we have uh, three new species of, of Gnaphosidae. They are called ground spiders. Um, they are mostly, well, as their name suggests, are ground-dwelling predators. One of the species that we have described is from the genus Micaria, which is uh, which are ant mimicking spiders. They look like ants and they move usually in ant colonies. And uh, and that's similar to what we talked about in the last time you were on the podcast. Yeah, true. Ant like spiders. True, true. 
And we've also had uh, two new species of uh, Leocranes. They're also uh, can be found in the leaf litter, under stones. Uh, they don't make webs. We've had from uh, two new species from Philodromes or running crab spiders. These are uh, kind of lateral grade spiders that usually live on foliage, on tree barks, and uh, they, they also don't and make for the For the yeah. American listeners, the, the spider families you've listed so far, we find these families in the U.S. We have ground spiders, we have the liocranids, yeah, we have uh, the others. There's, there's another one coming up here that you're going to describe that we don't get in the U.S. to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Palpimanis. Palpimanis don't occur in the U.S. And, uh, and actually, the, these two new species of Palpimani, they, they were kind of the most the two most interesting species in this paper because uh, Palpimani, that are, are commonly known as pulp-footed spiders, they are quiet, uh, I don't know, strange-looking spiders, you know? Like, uh, if you look at a picture of a, of a Palpimani, well, the first thing is like they look quiet, muscular, you know, like the, fir- the their forelegs are quiet, quite thick, you know, and uh, they have quite strong uh, forelegs. Yeah, they're pretty stocky looking. Yeah, they, say, they, right? they look like a living tank, you know, they look, they're quite well armored. And uh, also on their first pair of legs, uh, which, as I said, they're quite strong and thick, uh, on the distal most segments, they have a dense set of uh, seta or hairs let's say and uh, it's very interesting that if you look at these hairs like on uh, each each of these hairs at, uh, at their apex on the top of them they are also covered with a set of minute hairs so th- so their hairs their hairy hairs yes exactly and these <laughs> these give the, these spiders like an amazing uh, like adhesive ability mm-hmm. because these spiders are quite unique or relatively unique uh, because they hunt other spiders. So basically they use this adhesive uh, ability to catch the spider and drag them toward themselves. And also, as I said, their cuticle is quite thick and they're quite well armored. So that if if the other spider like manages to bite them, you know, like they won't probably be harmed by it so much. And they can easily, even though they don't make webs or anything, they can easily hunt down <coughs> prey items, even twice their size but this this thick cuticle is also makes them quite hard to work with you know because when we are kind of opening this genitalia area you know it's it's so the cuticle is so uh, thick it's it almost shatters and we have to be really careful while working with this with these spiders and uh, but anyway we managed to describe two new species of them from Iran and we also had a... So what you're saying is there were three new species, but you shattered one of them. So it's like, oops, <laughs> only... <laughs> yeah. No, no, thankfully not. <laughs> yeah. And these are mostly, these are pretty small spiders, right? Like, yeah, small, what, small what, what was the size. average size? Well, we had one, uh, Brigittea, I think that was the smallest, I think, maybe, that we described in this paper. It's from Dictinide family. I think it was two or three millimeters long, I guess. But Yeah, and your largest one was about how large? Maybe five or six, maybe. Yeah. For those listening, that may sound like a like a, a really tiny spider, but as you mentioned, that starts getting up into kind of like medium size. Yeah. By the time you hit five millimeters, that's going to be the lower end of the medium size spiders. True, and, and we also, it's also worth mentioning that we, <clears throat> when we mention the size of the spider, we don't usually include the legs. We only, right. we only yeah, mean the body Right, yeah, this is just the body part. Yes, true. 
Yeah, when everybody describes this enormous spider, it's because they always saw it with the legs all spread true. out, but the body's like a really tiny thing. Yeah, yeah, true. I had people do that with me with cellar spiders, like the Fulcity. Mm -hmm. Like, the spider was huge, and then they show me what it is, and I'm like, oh, it's because it has hair for legs, yeah. and it just spreads out. Yeah, but true. It's, it's actually a very small spider true, overall. True. <laughs> yeah. All of these specimens were collected in the 1970s from museum collections. And so let's talk a little bit about these specimens sitting in jars in a couple of different museums in Europe for yeah. 45 to 50 years. Why did they sit there for so long? What happened? Well, this is uh, quite a, an important problem, you know, in taxonomy, because uh, it was a few years ago that some people did uh, some estimates of, like, what is the average shelf life for specimens between, like, the average time between discovery, between collection to the publication of the name it is it is more than 20 years so it takes an average of 20 years for a species to be collected and then to be described and uh, well the main reason is uh, well taxonomic impediment I guess well there are, sim there are simply not that many people not that many taxonomies to work on these animals and uh, for example spiders of Middle East and Central Asia well, there are not that many local scientists and uh, mostly foreign researchers are also like working like in more biodiverse regions like South America or Southeast Asia. So especially specimens from these regions, they have to wait quite a long time in order to, to get described and, and have a name. And uh, it is quite unfortunate because, uh, well, as taxonomists, we usually acquire our material, I think, in three major ways. Either we go and collect them ourselves. The second way is by studying specimens that are already in collections in museums. And the third way, I think, I could say like by the help of parataxonomists. And we don't value the second, the, the museum collection, probably as much as we should because there are the major natural history museums around the world, they house maybe millions of specimens. And among those, like there are 100 uh, hundreds of thousands of undescribed species and yeah and they're just like sitting there you know like for decades just waiting for somebody to come and name them and study them and we are not just you know we're not just talking about some minute you know mite or fly species you know just in a collection yeah these can be these can be for example in the spiders these can be really large rebecca godwin found some new species that were from like the 1920s yeah. that were sitting in a jar i mean and these were tarantula sized i these mean for, big forget spiders. about that i mean uh, heteropoda maxima the world's largest spider it was collected back in 1930s and like it had to wait for 70 years before like peter yegar described it it, it, it yeah. was in the natural history <laughs> museum in paris and we are talking about the world's large spider it has a leg span of about 30 centimeters and like imagine how many small like organisms are there just waiting to be dis described and even we had a case uh, back in 2015 about uh, there was a new species of monitor lizards described from iran a very very enormous species like it's more than 100 meter long and it has a very wide distribution from western iran almost the border of iraq to south central iran and quite distinct morphological differences, you know, with other species that occur in that region. It was described by European and Russian herpetologists on the basis of a museum specimen in, in Russia that 
had already been recognized <clears throat> as a new species almost 100 years ago by a Russian herpetologist who, who even put a new name on a label in its jar but didn't manage to publish it because he died in an Estonian prison between World Wars One and Two. So there are just like <clears throat> even big, very distinct new species just waiting in the collections, you know, for people to come and describe them. But how do they end up there? Like, I, I, that's the part I don't think people really understand, right? <clears throat> so you and I talked last time you were on about collecting in places like minefields, <laughs> right? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> uh, and, and, and a variety of other habitats. But when you when you go out and you collect, you, you often are sometimes looking for, and this is true of experts everywhere, right? Sometimes we're, we're able to hand collect is what we call it. You go out and you very specifically look for things. <clears throat> other times we're setting traps and yep. they're passive things. You just put them out in the field. It's like a like a cup in the ground and things will fall into it. Yeah. Uh, and I know people out listening to that, if they don't know what a pitfall trap is, probably think, well, that, that can't work very well. They're actually extremely effective. You can leave them out in the field for a week or two and you come mm-hmm. back. You're obviously not just going to be catching spiders. You're going to be catching all sorts of other things. So rather than throw that stuff away, scientists will will put that into a collection and say, well, someday somebody will look through it. And that's probably what happened with these specimens, right? Do you know anything about the history of the expedition that found them? Well, I know just a bit the uh, specimens that were uh, we used in, in our paper were collected by um, uh, two different um, expeditions, I can tell. One of them was led by uh, Austrian, zoologi- Austrian zoologist, and another one wa- uh, was conducted by Anton Songle, uh, a Swiss arachnologist who was conducting uh, zoological collection exp- expeditions in Iran. He was collecting sp- spiders and, and beetles, I think, only. Unfortunately, and and he uh, collected like thousands, thousands of spiders, and I uh, and I'm really happy that he did that because most of my most of the material that I've studied during my PhD thesis was based on his collection, and most of the data that we have on Iranian spiders are based on on his collection. And I can say, like, if it wasn't for his collection, probably we would know nothing about some families like Linifidae and Falcidae in Iran, and because there's no one really interested in working on them uh, in that region. So, he, Anton Sonle, he conducted the, the biggest and <clears throat> the most important uh, collection on, of Iranian spiders. And uh, I was actually quite lucky because um, not all, this is not the case in, uh, uh, always, you know. Uh, that uh, these materials are housed in the Natural History Museum in Geneva in Switzerland and the curators of of Natural History Museum in Geneva are very collaborative and uh, they're really interested in having their material identified so we had had a very nice collaboration they send me these specimens quite regularly and I identify them relatively quickly and uh, unfortunately this doesn't happen with most collections you know because uh, currently we have this problem with uh, as I said, like this kind of taxonomic impediment and you know, lack of funding and everything. Uh, there's also not much funding uh, or money invested in museums, so there are not that many people, you know, working in the collections. Yeah, I've had problems trying to get specimens from places because they say they just can't mail them to me yeah. because they can't afford. Yeah, yeah. Because all of ours have to be shipped in alcohol, and then yeah. they have to have a special permit to do that. And they're like, yeah, we just can't ship the things in alcohol. True. It's like, oh. And, and just even, even yeah, simply yeah. just sorting the material, you know, like... Uh, sorting the unidentified portion of the material is is quite a hard task, you know, and 
And, uh, right. So we bring back that little cup from the field, our little pitfall trap, mm-hmm. and we dump it out and we look at things. We start putting them into piles. Mm-hmm. A lot of the experts will just pull out what they want and put the rest of it back in a, in a little jar and put it back on the shelf. And rather than trying to separate it out to all the different groups, yeah. because there's just not extra people around. That's that's why you have students and mm-hmm. other lower level workers. Not not that they're not valuable, but I'm just saying they're not the, the top curators, True. right? Who, who should be able to do that in the really wealthy museums, they can do that. But in a lot of museums, they just can't. Yeah. So it just gets put on a jar and then eventually, hopefully, somebody will look through it. Yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. And you're you're right. If, if you look, there are probably hundreds of thousands of species sitting in these. I have several of them just sitting in my lab right now that I've had for a couple of years now. I need to finally get to describing that, that we're just combing through museum uh, collections. I asked the curators, do you have some unidentified specimens in this little group of spiders and they sent them to me and I'm like oh yeah yeah there's absolutely new species there what do you know yeah yeah true true. yeah it's really interesting now you mentioned you're doing that inventory of the uh, helping to do the inventory of the Iranian spiders and that's the focus of your PhD you say in this particular paper you're up to 890 species from 321 genera in Iran yeah what do you have to do to document all of these species obviously you if you're trying to put together like a list for a country yeah and Iran is not small. Most people seem to think in the United States it's a pretty small country. It is not. It's extremely large and actually quite diverse. Yes. As we talked about last time, there are reasons why it's so diverse. What does it take to put together a collection or a, a list like this? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I started to uh, create the, the list of Iranian spiders and the records, I think, uh, back in 2000. 13 I think I started it and it, and it took me a whole year because the previous checklist that we had of Iranian spiders was published in 2006 and it was it wasn't a nice publication it had many errors like it wasn't what we needed really and it was like outdated so I had to start from scratch you know basically I started from the very very first publication and uh, just I started gathering around and uh, collecting all of these papers that had even like include uh, even just one single specimen of Iranian spiders I, I included in the list. It took me a whole year, I guess, like to, to compile that list, uh, which uh, initially I think in, it included roughly about uh, 500 species in the first edition. Sure, and now sure. uh, we, with this paper, we reached a sweet number of 900 species. And uh, But again, like we have also uh, quite a large number of uh, doubtful records which I'm also planning to reject from the checklist of Iranian spiders in in a, in a whole uh, sure. publication just devoted to this to this to this task. Uh, and you're not doing this alone. There there are other Iranian well, we, arachnologists, right? There's at least two others that I know of. I, I know it's not a huge number of you. How many how many <laughs> active arachnologists are there working well, on the Iranian well, it depends list? On, like on the definition of active. Um, well, we have at least. Uh, three other people who who published on, on spiders once in a while but uh, sure. but we need more people and uh, as i said you know we, we need more publications this is this is a very interesting region and uh, yeah yeah we need we need to train more people and conduct more yeah because you and your co-author Yura Marusik yeah. have done a, a heroic amount of work there Oh. And then, yeah, there's at least a couple of others who've done yeah, 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 yeah. some work. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. And again, like this also, I'm really grateful. If it wasn't for these museum collections, we would probably be knowing like 
not as much as we already we know now about Iranian spiders. And again, if I want to talk a little bit about more about the importance of these collections, you know, their value, you know, like we recognize their value during times when some regions are are be becoming less accessible, you know, like sometimes there are wars or like political reasons, for example, in case of your own foreign researchers cannot really uh, have now access like to uh, Iranian specimens inside the country, maybe. And like, for example, or like the situation in Afghanistan, you know, now it's not accessible, but there, there have been biological, zoological expeditions conducted in Afghanistan back in 70s, or maybe during like a global pandemic, you know, like where like generally traveling is not <laughs> yeah. easy. Well, I believe I have this saying that uh, research, like the show must go on. So <laughs> during these times, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can use the, all of these already collected specimens that are just waiting uh, to be dis described and named. Yeah, I know several of the, uh, well, I'm, I'm uh, familiar with several of the, uh, the students and a couple of the faculty in Pakistan, mm -hmm. particularly the ones who work in the Swat Valley. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've all said, oh, you should come here. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not sorry, an American happen. going into that region. I think that you know there probably is some level of safety, but at the same time, that's yeah. particularly until very recently that was Taliban controlled yeah, yeah. regions. Yeah, yeah, true. And that's that's not a place for me to visit. Yeah, yeah, true. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to be there. You don't want to be there and be an American at the same time. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, that's yeah. That, that and you're right. So that does lead to to problems like allowing experts, which which unfortunately very commonly come from the West, right? Yeah. We don't have as many experts outside of the West. That's growing, fortunately, yeah. worldwide. Yeah. We're getting more and more of them. But yeah, it is hard to get into various regions for a variety of reasons. Like it's hard for you to come to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Uh, even though you currently live in Finland, etc. Yeah, yeah. So. That doesn't matter that much. Yeah, yeah. As an Iranian, it's yeah, yeah, and hard. it's all just because of the passport you carry. Which in science, you know, I mean, I get it in in a political way, but in scientific ways, that doesn't make much sense yeah. to me. But yeah, it's just it is sad. what it is. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of these species that you actually describe. Yeah. Uh, I, okay, we'll just let the cat right out of the bag. We'll just do that one first. So there's one that may have been named after somebody you know, mm -hmm. currently, not somebody who who's from the distant past. Which which species would that be? Well, uh, oh, and actually, let's start before that. There's a new genus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's the new genus yeah. named after somebody you know, yeah. and then you have a later species after somebody. What's, let's talk about the genus All first. Right. Uh, well, the genus we named after uh, our, our colleague uh, and friend, uh, Anna Shestakova. She's an arachnologist uh, from Slovenia. And uh, we named the genus after her because of, well, she's, she's an amazing arachnologist and uh, an amazing illustrator very dedicated and uh, we published one paper together on on RNA it's it's a very nice paper I suggest that you look at at least like her illustrations in the paper it was published in Zoki's as well oh I've seen him yeah she she does a great yeah, job she, she's, she's really amazing and it, she's really dedicated and devoted to to the, the to the papers that we are we were working on and uh, and we actually published two papers together now I remember and uh, like even though like when we were working on that paper she was in maternity leave but still she was like very actively you know working on the descriptions and everything and that was like just just amazing so uh Euro actually suggested that we name this this new genus after her and uh no I, I almost uh, uh, I, of course I agreed and it, it turned out quite quite actually a nice name you know Sestakova yeah uh yeah. Yeah, that's a great name. Yeah. It sound it even sounds like it it should be, you know, yeah, yeah. good for the region. Yeah, 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 true. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. 
And then there's another one that's in the Lyocranids, yeah. the Lyocranidae that you named. Um, yeah, it's just go ahead. Yeah, it's say just it. named Mesiotellus patrici. <laughs> yeah, and who's that after? I guess that would be me. Oh. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah that's, that's the one's named after you. Full disclosure. <laughs> This is not necessarily why he's on the podcast this time. I just want to be clear on that. We're actually, I really wanted to talk about this using museum collections to find specimens. But I am deeply honored that a species was named after me. And thank you so much for both you and your brother. My pleasure. And uh, Uh, truly well deserved, I must say. Well, I don't know that I agree with that, but I I appreciate the the thought. I I really honestly do. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's really, really nice. But I, I especially like. You didn't just name it after me because we're, we're we're colleagues and friends. You actually had a more yeah. specific reason for something I've done. Yes, true. Can you tell us what that is? Well, um, a little backstory. Well, I'm, I, reg- I really enjoy taking regular daily long walks. And uh, during these long walks, you know, if I'm not listening to Leonard Cohen or Andrea Bocelli, I am listening to, to podcasts. And uh, for a long time, I was all just like, just thinking to myself, why somebody doesn't come up with a podcast about taxonomy and new species discoveries? And, uh, well, the answer, I think, is like quite obvious because like everyone's busy, you know. But then you did this project and even though like I know you're, how busy you are and, and that's just the thing that uh, requires... A... I'm obviously not busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm doing this, but that's yeah, and that's not what you meant. I understand yeah, yeah, that's not yeah, what yeah. you meant. I'm just making the joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, you know that the the fact that you are spending some time, you know, in your life just just for this thing and to try to popularize taxonomy and and I don't know, like make people you know become uh, familiar with these new discoveries and everything. This is just amazing, and I think uh, it required. It was in, in need of like some acknowledgement and, and some form of appreciation. And I thought, well, what better way to appreciate uh, somebody's work on a new species podcast than to name a new species after them? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then, yeah, then uh, Inter Mesiotalus Patriki. And, and it's yeah, actually well, quite, you. well, I don't know if you like, well, I know you like Linifits, but this is actually like, to my taste, this is quite a beautiful spider. It has oh, no, I like long Le- Yeah, pops. I like the Leocranids as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Lyocranidae is a is a really interesting little family. I don't, I, we don't get very many of them where I'm at, and I yeah. work mostly on spiders in my region. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are a couple, but yeah, they're they're neat spiders as well. Yeah, so no, I it's definitely yeah, no, unfortunately not that many people study them. Yeah, 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 that's true too. Mm-hmm. There's there's another species here I want to make sure we get to because uh, we're running a little short on yeah. time. The Brigitia avicenna. Tell us a little bit about that new species name how did you pick the name avicenna this guy is fascinating well, uh, avicenna well, well as or as we call him in in persian abu ali sina or poor sina he's a famous uh, persian polymath you know and uh, like considered as one of the most significant uh, physicians and astronauts of of his own time and uh, as we discussed earlier he has uh, he has had like big amount of influence on on European medicine and uh, I think I thought like it would be nice to name one species after him you know just just to honor sure. his memory yeah now just to put this in perspective for people who don't know who this guy is 
Yeah, the, well, the Book of Healing is famous and the Canon of Medicine, yeah, yeah, true. which was actually used in Europe until the 1700s. True. So throughout Europe, including in Paris, was used as the medical authority. This is this five-volume set mm-hmm. of called the Canon of Medicine was was what was used for the medical textbooks in Europe. Yes. And to, to put this in perspective for people, Avicenna lived from about 980 to 1037. So you lived about 56, 57 years. Yeah. So you lived about 1,100 years ago. That influence lasted for 600 years or more in Europe. And and that was happening at a time when they were having what they called like the, the Islamic or the, mm-hmm. the Middle Eastern Enlightenment while the, the Europe was in the Dark Ages. True, true. So there was a lot of really interesting research and I think this is where calculus is born and mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. where you know apparently modern medicine is born and and then that, that stuff migrates over to mm-hmm. Europe as it comes into the Renaissance later mm-hmm. uh, and and I don't think a lot of credit is given to a lot of these uh, Central and, and Middle Eastern mm-hmm. Central Asian and Middle Eastern philosophers you yeah. know uh, discoverers etc. And so I think it's really, really cool that you you named a new species I haven't seen. Now, that one, I get why you named that one that. <laughs> Patrick Eye is still a little bit of a mystery. but. <laughs> and actually, Evacin is considered the father of modern, modern medicine. medicine yeah. yeah, so like the medicine we have today, he's the kind of the founder yeah. of the way we, we start to approach a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Well, thank you so much for coming again on the oh, podcast. Thank you very much it's been a real pleasure and, and always great talking with yeah, you. Yeah, same, same. Thanks a lot for inviting me again. Once again, Ali Reza Zamani's paper is in the August 3 issue of Zookies. The title of the paper is A New Genus and Ten New Species of Spiders from Iran. See the episode details for a link to his paper. To learn more about Ali Reza, follow him on Twitter, at Persian Spiders. That's at P-E-R-S-I-A-N-S-P-I-D-E-R-S. To follow him on Instagram and for a link to his website, see the episode notes. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter, at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash New Species Podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash New Species Podcast. <laughs>